Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. We break the spell, the hiatus, the the drought of Studio Break with an interview today with Jonathan Brilliant. He's an artist that works in a number of materials, but in the last couple of years has been doing a lot of installations with coffee-related materials. You'll find out more about that if you're not familiar with Jonathan's work. But once again, we invite you to check out his blog. He's been updating the the piece that he's been doing day to day, so it's very interesting. He's got a number of videos on his website as well to check that out. So once again, jonathanbrilliant.com. You can see his process as he puts together one of these pieces. And again, we talked at great length all about his development, which is quite an interesting story. So please check that out. Once again, if you're unfamiliar with the podcast, you can always go to the iTunes store. Just search under Podcast Studio Break and subscribe there. It's an easy way to get updates that way. You can also follow us on Facebook. You can become a fan of the blog and, and subscribe there to get updates that way. So please do all those great things. And we do have some announcements, some fun announcements later on, so please check that out. Enough of my yapping. Here we go with Jonathan Brilliant. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. I am happy to be talking with uh, Jonathan Brilliant as he's getting ready to depart for another adventure. So how are you this morning? I'm good. I'm good. And, um, you know, I, I always kind of like to talk about the, the beginning with folks. Um, and I, I think for whatever reason, I'm really curious about yours just because, you know, the the idea of materials, um, or at least it seems so so apparent in your work that that's always been something that's interested in you. Um or, you know, been interested in, is it something that started out as at a, at a really early age, kind of, um, I don't know, a, a fascination with material just in general? Um, that's tough. Uh, I, <laughs> I was not like born to be an artist, you know, I wasn't like a, a child artist. I didn't really even, um, think of, I didn't even be, like make stuff until my twenties. So, uh, you would have to ask my parents, but I think I was a pretty destructive kid. You know, I remember taking apart my GI Joes. Like, you know, you could unscrew that one screw and the rubber band would come out. Have you ever done that before? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's the screw in the back. I mean, I have that memory, but I wasn't, uh, it wasn't an art project and it wasn't like uh, a fascination. It was just, oh, this is a screwdriver. That's a screw. I'll take it apart. But uh, I don't know that it has like a, it doesn't go back that far, you know? Right, right. Well, and it's, it's one of those things that just varies so much with people, too. But I think, um, I don't know, maybe maybe the movie part in me always kind of wants to put it in some of, some framework like that, you know? Like that you'd be building uh, these ridiculous forts out of sticks or something. Um, <laughs> or tree, fallen tree branches or something, you know, with your friends. I don't know. Um, so yeah, uh, There might have been blanket forts, you know, when I was... <laughs> Child. Sure, sure, but um, I mean, just just the 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 typical the typical kind of stuff in terms of just drawing here and there, or um, but just, or, or was it just never really ever something that you really did? You did sports or other things, or uh, I maybe once took uh, you know was sent to like a summer art uh, class, but you know if you're not preordained as an as an artist, as a kid, you get a pretty clear message that uh, you had to have been, you know, ordained to be one. So it never occurred to me; it was never an option. I was more interested in music, and uh, actually, like you know, taught myself to play the drums and played in bands, and I identified more as a musician, you know, and um, and as a self-taught musician, you know, not like a theory-based or I could barely I could barely sight read, and if I had to, I probably would have my head would have exploded. So. Uh, I think that's more that the creative outlet was with was with music and it was with playing drums. Really, that was my first identity, and uh, kind of ran with that for a while. Well, and I guess where did your interest uh, begin then? And well, I should say before we get too far into this, um, if you could just tell us a little bit about where you're from and uh, where you grew up too, because uh, I don't know that could be that could be something interesting as well. Sure, sure. Yeah, uh, I was born and raised in Charleston, South Carolina, and uh, I was. It's a it's a historic city, but I was born and raised in the suburbs, so pretty much just like any, you know, growing up in the suburbs, there's, uh, it's quiet, and, um, I don't know, uh, Charleston was good, there was never, see, I'm trying to think, because of what I do now, is I'm an artist all the time, I just, I have a few spotty memories of, like, the visual arts existing, but <laughs> growing, growing up, uh, 
definitely music seemed more accessible. There were there it was kind of a known quantity that you know um, that there were bands playing around everywhere in Charleston. And visual art was sort of like there were the one or two kids who were the artists in the entire school, and you knew who they were. You know, right. And so you were saying that you were you were playing bands and stuff. Did that stuff continue throughout high school then, or? Uh, well, as long as I was in high school, I actually quit high school. I uh, eventually dropped out. Uh, st- well, stopped going. It's complicated, but yeah, you know, I, I um, when I was about seventeen, I quit going to high school and um, went through a series of weird stuff, and then I ended up working a lot of odd jobs. And at that point, um, was just like playing drums on the side with friends. You know, I didn't go after from about seventeen till about twenty one or twenty two. Um, I just kind of lived and, uh, it wasn't until I went to, I went to college at like 22 and that's where, uh, you know, I was like, I was going to college with the thought process that I was like, well, I'm 22. I better go now or I'll never go. And, uh, somewhere in college being an undeclared major, um, I don't know. Well, I mean, I do know why now cause it connected with a lot of the dots for me, but I was interested in art history and part of the art history requirement was to take a drawing class. And, um, that was actually one of the most difficult things ever because there's this assumption that uh, you've been to a drawing class before or been to any art class. So I didn't even know the etiquette or the rules. I didn't know what a piece of charcoal was. And everyone else seemed so much younger, smarter. Like, they knew what charcoal was. Right. Know? So. And so, so huh? and so it kind of started then more through that, that interest in art history. Yeah, well... Um, Honestly, I was never a very good student, so art history was actually incredibly easy because, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, so um, I was getting A's and B's in art history at college level, uh, having not been a very good student growing up, but I could write, you know, and and I guess that's the thing, like, I'm just old enough that um, computers and the internet weren't in my life till later, so we all, like, it was cool, even if you were, like, a flunking, you know, troublemaking student you kept journals you wrote you doodled you made uh poetry so like uh art history was easy for me do you know what i mean like i sure it was the first subject that made sense and um i didn't know world history very well so it was like i was playing catch-up ball but by being in an art history class i learned i'm all that world history that i missed through the visual arts and then uh, somewhere in taking a drawing class and copying the slides in our history. And it happened very fast, very organically. I didn't even realize, you know, what I was signing up for. It's like, oh, well, this seems like this is something I can do. And then, um, and then it's just, you know, booked from there. And, and just to clarify too, where, where did you wind up uh, starting then when you, when you decided to come back to school, uh, you know? So I, I had been, <laughs> it's funny. Uh, I had been living in Alaska for a little while and uh, working at a fireworks stand and doing other odd jobs, working at a record store. And uh, originally, I was going to go to college at the University of Alaska at Fairbanks. And at the last minute, like the summer before I was supposed to start, I uh, decided to go back home to Charleston to be nearer to my family and to just sort of uh, go to college there. So I went to the College of Charleston and actually just went back home. So. And so did you, when, I don't know, did that, did that first drawing class kind of uh, ignite you to kind of take other, other studio classes or was yeah. it something that was, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty funny. Um, you have to imagine like, it, it's, it's funny now cause you know, I go to universities and I lecture all the time and I talk about my work and especially like what I do now, but I was I never really had ambitions of being anything in particular when I grew up. So I always just viewed this as like, oh, this will be an odd job or something else I can do. <laughs> and so uh, for, around the second, it was really the second drawing class. I started meeting some of the other people there. And there was another person in those classes who also had a different life story than me. But as far as his engagement with art, no one had ever told him he was a good, he was an artist. And so he was taking his first drawing classes. So I kind of um, had peers in that way that were like, all our art was really about learning how to make art. You know, like we were handed this huge loaded weapon and then turned loose. But, um, but I had an amazing drawing instructor because he actually uh, saw my complete ignorance of how to hold a piece of charcoal or how to draw or anything like that as like a, a good thing. You know, like I wasn't burdened by any 
I had no habits. You know, like uh, other people have bad habits in drawing. He could just show me sight and size, you know, how to measure and draw. It was like one week I didn't even understand how to draw, and the next week he had me drawing figures. You know, like that was cool. Did, what was your first uh, 3D-based class, or, or was that something that was even interesting you know, to you early on, or did it come to you uh, a bit later as well? No, no. I mean, I, I'll get it, it, it's, it's funny. I have a very clear memory. Uh, very, very. I mean, I've been I've been awake and aware for uh, for all of this. You know, I, I think that's the thing that um, people like when they book me for a lecture because it's not um, it's not confusing to me. I didn't have to clear out, and like I was plugged right into this. My first uh, sculpture class was a summer sculpture class in the summer of 2001 and uh, a woman named Lauren Schwerd was the instructor and it was really uh, the first time I got a sense that I could make something at a scale that felt not like furniture but like my sense of scale back to the drum set was kind of based like I know this now and I talk about this sometimes like my idea of what comprises a good scale for an object is it's got to be bigger than what I can carry. You know, at this point I do room size work, so it's got to you know engage with the architecture. But at that time, it was like once I could make an object that was the same scale as my drum set, and that's fact. Like it was like one of the first big sculptures or big ish that I made is I made this giant plaster drum set just using broken parts off my drum set, and that was pretty um, that was pretty cool. That it was like oh, you know, I can actually make something that makes sense to me. So, uh, but that was summer of 2001. And then the other thing, uh, I emailed a, this, this woman a couple times a year and other things happen because she's the first person who taught me about applying for stuff, about what, about how do you actually present yourself as an artist. And, you know, I had no, um, I had no idea that that was like precious news. I just took it as like, okay, this, these are the rules, you know, you only get, to, you know, five, 10, 15 or 20 slides. And they were slides then, you know, we're still shooting slides. You yeah, only get <laughs> three, 300 words. You know, you only, you're only as good as your slides. Like I heard that in my first sculpture class and there were other students. They're like, well, my mommy's told me I'm going to be a great artist. And it's like, all right, but this woman's telling us we need 20 slides. You know, like that, that's what I was introduced to. You know, I was told about the college art association right there. So you got to imagine like, you know, Two years after my first drawing class, someone's te- you know dropping gems about professional practice. You know, sure. Well, and at the same time, though, I would think that and this is just from my experience. I mean, I didn't even start graduate school, or at least I, t- I took a bit of a break. Um, but um, I, would, I would think that that experience of living out in the world, you know, really sets you up in a different way than someone that's just coming straight from high school and you know hasn't lived in Alaska, for example, and, and done something. Um, yeah, it's 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 possible, but also I'm I'm just dumb enough to have thought that I could you know continue to make work you know. <laughs> um, well, and and so what were the? I mean, you know, you talked a little bit about maybe like the idea of being not like the idea of being an artist is something that you know you thought maybe at a younger age was reserved for like these almost like set people. Um, did you see anything similar in terms of the way that you? maybe realize that some limitations that you thought you had, you didn't in terms of exploring materials and, you know, really getting invested in what you were doing. Yeah, totally. Like I had no sense that, um, my, like I was, people would tell me there was work, artwork that I should really, really like. And I still get that today. People are like, Oh, you'll really like this work. But, uh, the irony is like, I have my own opinions that were formulated you know, not based on someone to, like people tell me all the time, Oh, this painting is a great painting or you should really like this work. And I didn't have those hangups. Like I knew what I liked, you know, like uh, my second sculpture class, the, the professor started showing us work of people like Martin Purrier and Richard Deacon and people who made stuff with simple hand means. And that was the first work that someone presented to me that made sense. That was like, Oh, okay. Someone just gets out and makes something, you know, they, it wasn't uh wasn't divinely inspired. It wasn't, you know, some high and accessible skill. They used the skills they had to make a thing. Does that make sense? No, completely. Sure. And I, I mean, too, are you, so you talked a little bit about, about like ceramics and that, I mean, are you welding and, and taking painting, drawing, printmaking? I mean, and it seems like there's a, you know, there's an overarching, like you use, a, you do a lot of different things now. Was that something that 
you started, you, you kind of kept doing at that time too, in terms of the other materials? Uh, it's all been, let me say this, like I've had no plan other than make it to the next, uh, <laughs> thing. So, uh, the work, I mean, it, yeah, it's funny. It, it, and I know it's, it's, it's going to seem, um, ornery, but I haven't had a fixed studio now for about a year and a half or two. You know, there, there's a video on the website that was shot actually in 2009 in the last proper studio studio I had but all the work I mean I've started from the premise of nothing so it's like uh, the the metal the, the welded steel sculptures came about because when I moved into my studio in grad school there was piles of hardware left behind from a previous artist and I just started putting them together and you know the rust prints came about because I was looking for more metal for those sculptures but notice they stay in the bucket and it's like you know the the coffee shop stuff came about because I was making a lot of drawings in coffee shops, but also thinking about installation art and somewhere along the way I got it wrong. I was like, well, this is my natural environment. So it was never like, uh, I'm not one of those people that's just like, Ooh, any random material will do. I need to have like already encountered it or know it from my life. So it's like, uh, there are other artists that are really great at this. They can just be handed anything and then make anything from it. Uh, but I like to already encounter it through the normal flow of life. Do you know what I mean? Sure, sure. So it's like I'm working with those fortune cookie fortunes, but fortune cookie fortunes are something I've been collecting for a while. I've been playing with in my artwork, and that project is starting to get on a life of its own now and come to the surface. But it wasn't that I was randomly looking around for new stuff. I already had an interest in those. They were already with me, you know. Sure, sure. Well, and, and so just to, just to kind of bottle the, the I guess, some of the, the undergraduate experiences, what was that, what was the work coming out of there, you know, that you, I don't know, did you apply to graduate school right away? I, I'm trying to get a sense of where, where, yeah, you, yeah. where you left, you know, um, and especially if, if it's really one of those situations where you're, you know, constantly just kind of just moving from the next thing to the next thing. Um, well, uh, undergrad. It's uh, it all blurs together because also during undergrad, I met um, a group of I would say lifers, people who were sort of like uh, they were the best artists growing up, and they were the scholarship students coming into college, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, a couple of those were really uh, interesting to me because I, they um, their whole life was wrapped up in it, and I kind of worked around and with them and. We all we, we ran for lack of a better word galleries and some of the group of those people went on to to found the local art center. But I always kind of like I tried whenever possible to be involved with what they were doing, and it certainly uh, it shifted my perspective completely. And because Charleston was such an isolated nowhere place, you know, as undergrads, you know, I sold a couple paintings hanging in the hallway. We put on you know shows, like, you know, I, like the. In fact, like two weeks after September 11th, we hung our first big group show just in an unused retail space. And, like, I thought normal. I had nothing to fix. It wasn't until I got out of undergrad and, like, uh, I like, got a small, uh, a partial fellowship to Penland School of the Crafts the, the year after I finished college. And I was, at the time, I was just working at Sherwin-Williams, and I thought I would work there for a couple of years, maybe make some work. I had no plans of showing, but when I was at about graduate school this is the whole point of this line sure. is when i was at penland i met someone who was a professor at the place where i ended up going to graduate school and in conversation with her and showing some, her some of the work i was making she's like well you know are you going to apply to graduate school i was like well i don't know if i'm ready or i'm right she's like you're ready what are you gonna do next and it's like i'd never like it was really that uh i was that much of a blank slate that huh you know there was someone who had never met me or seen anything, and I handed her my most recent, you know, sheet of slides. I had, you know, I had, at that time, I had 20 slides. That was the goal, get 20 solid slides, edit it down to the 20 best, because they're only going to look at the first five. You know, that was that mentality. And she looked at the first five, she's like, this is a good body of work. What's next? And I never, like, uh, so that was a year after undergrad. That was 2003. Uh, so I only applied to one place because I felt invited. You know, she was like, well, I'll show the work to some of my colleagues, and it was really that simple. So I thought I would a couple years, you know, maybe hang around, work around the art center in Charleston. But um, going to Penland, I met 
a professor at San Jose State. And then, as again, as when you submit yourself to just trust in the process, the very person who I met there, she went on sabbatical and then retired. I never actually worked with her, but I worked with an amazing, like influential couple people who I'm still very close with today. So it was really like that. It was really not a, a lack of planning. Well, and so what did, what did you see as, a, as a, I guess, a difference in terms of then being in this, this new environment? I mean, was it, re- I mean, it seems to me like you're always in this state of um, just kind of doing whatever it is that you want to do in a, in a, in a weird way, you know, of just yeah. kind of being, feeling really um, not, not inhibited the way that I think you, you kind of hinted at a little bit earlier, the way that someone that might have taken a tons of, ton of classes in high school or something like that, um, you know, that was bred to kind of be that artist. I mean, what was it like then to be in an environment where you're, you know, hopefully kind of creating whatever you want? Talking about uh, graduate school or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I mean, and, and again, I, I, I think it's just, um, I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out, you know, and talk about that transition of, um, you know, really, really coming into your own, but then also to be in an environment where you're surrounded by people that are nurturing that. Yeah, graduate school was a tough pill. Um, you know, it was confusing to me because the most interesting people, the most inspiring people that I had met in my short, you know, art making journey. Because let's like, you know, uh, pure honesty. I, you know, I I took my first drawing class fall of '99. You know, so after only you know three and a half years of making art. Really, and then only a year of making my own stuff that I was directing, you know, mm-hmm. other than just like, you know, draw the model, draw the box, you know. Uh, I'm in graduate school with people who, uh, they were so certain, so much certainty, you know, like everyone knew they were going to be an artist, they were going to be a professor. And I was like, I, I don't know that I want to be an artist, I just want to finish graduate school by the time I'm 30, you know, like that was, I had a really, I thought, attainable goal, you know, get through graduate school, see what it looks like on the other end. You know, I wor- while in graduate school, I made sure to work every little job I could in this. Like I worked as a preparator in the gallery office. I worked um, as a tech in the foundry. I got a small but really useful printmaking scholarship. So I worked in the printmaking studio, even though I was in the spatial arts uh, sculpture area. I also worked for the school's um, gallery system, that had like six student galleries, and I just did everything I could, and um, and, le- and you know, and I, like I say, I learned a lot about the back of the house and the front of the house experience. Like that shaped my ideas more than you know. I've made it, like uh, you know what I mean. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think everyone thought they had reached um, a career. Like I see that a lot, but some of the people, I mean, with everyone who goes to graduate school, I think sometimes they forget. That that's just school. That's not it. And they go, and then they. Um, I don't know, it was hard, you know, and I, I dealt with it in different ways. I mean, mostly, I just made work and kept applying. That was the thing I did. That was my um, that was my secret weapon. I made sure to constantly be applying to things while I was already in graduate school. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like I didn't just um, fall back and hide in the studio. I. Um, was constantly applying. I kept showing. I kept shit like I. I made sure to um, never keep too much work around the studio. I would ship it off. I, I I was sending stuff back to group shows in Charleston. I was um, applying to all kinds of weird opportunities. And by the time I graduated, I had lined up. You know. In terms of the way that you you kind of find um, a process to kind of to kind of use in studio in terms of how you work through. Um, you know, if you design things out, if you're... Uh... Oh, sure. Well, you know, the, these days, and like I said, the last uh, three and a half years have been nothing but doing the site-specific works where I, where that process is um, really drawn out in that people contact me, we figure out um, how they can get me there, and I, I use the studio as the gallery, like all the woven stick pieces, all the stacked coffee cup sleeves, all that stuff is happening um, specifically to build an experience in the gallery that's meant to be destroyed, Versus, you know, the, the rust prints, those just come out of, like, uh, I don't know why, for whatever reason, uh, I liked the idea that there would be a set of work. And that work, too, that, that again, was to solve a problem. Um, 
I wanted to be able to keep making work, but I had no studio for a little while um, after graduate school. And I had started doing those a little bit, but it was a way that I could keep playing with the idea of um, the artist hand is literally gone from there. And also, you know, rust prints have a nice tradition in the South. And uh, that was a way that the their prints, they're a record of, you know, of a mark, but it's also... It was a way to make a record of a sculpture. And then you, you'll see that later, because the, the arrangement of the metal is really the work that I do. I just arrange the metal and then everything else, it's just a record of that. And so that shows up too with the prints that I now make with the sticks and the sleeves and with the whole coffee shop work. Those two are designed to, rather than be a traditional, just an image made from a printing plate, I literally am taking pieces and elements of the installations and embossing them, sending them through a press or taking the, the actual materials like the coffee cup sleeves and using them to make collagraphs and then printing uh, their, like a record of them. So that, that all comes from, for whatever reason, my idea that, you know, half of my work should avoid the direct use of my hand and the other half, you know, I'm, you know, I doodle and make drawings that are absolutely about my hand. So. Sure. Well, and, you know, I was going to ask you too, you've got, Obviously, the, the most current work, as, as you kind of discussed, has been, you know, pretty installation-based. Was that something that you kind of experimented with earlier, or is that something that you came to as you continued to make sculpture and, and other other works? Um, actually, it, it again, it, it reflects not only uh, uh, sort of deeply held beliefs I had, but it's also pretty in line with my, with my personality. There's not, like... I have no desire to constantly make something that's permanent. Like, there's not a fixed image I want to see stuck in time forever, which is probably why you see the work moving around a bunch. But it also suits me to be, like, to, to install a show. Like, one of the, the odd jobs I love having now is working as an art handler or preparator or an installer because it feeds my work. Like, I, I like that the given of a show is the empty space. And the problem I was always having before with making a, a, you know, just a static object or, you know, even making a rust print and then you put up a show of them, there's no relationship between the way the work was made and where it's presented. And so, um, for better or for worse, I, I thought, and this is, this is the truth. I thought, you know, in, in 06 and 07, I was like, all right, if I can get like, you know, one residency a year, I'll, I'll, I could do one of these installations a year. This will be great. And then I can keep doing similar types of work, but you know, somewhere I know where it was along the way. In 2009, um, I, you know, I put out there as a joke that I, you know, have sticks, will travel, world tour, and then people were like, "Oh yeah, we should bring you here. We should bring you here." And then it evolved, and it's great because uh, it frees me up a ton. You know, like there is no body of work other than the documentation of those pieces. They're all built to be destroyed, and I write into all of them when we, when we work it out that I want the materials either given away, distributed. Uh, recycled mulch, I don't care. You know, like the, the pieces are, are made to be only experienced. The, basically the idea is that that dissolves that boundary. Like those galleries are my studio, they're the gallery, and then they're the place where the work is destroyed. So and that makes for, you know, for me it sort of closed the loop and it made it kind of nice. And it's also, it's really practical because if you want to show Jonathan Brilliant's work, you have to bring Jonathan Brilliant there to make the work. Right. And so did, did you, you wound up doing then a, a number of residencies to, to kind of support this arc? Yeah, well, yeah, but it wasn't, again, like, uh, no, this, this is my career and, you know, uh, I mean, of course, I'm actively applied. I didn't just get a couple of grants that I've gotten by accident. I'm constantly applying, getting rejected. But, yeah, in 2006, um, I was actually sitting at a coffee shop with, a, it might have been 05 or 06. I was sitting with, a, with another friend, actually a really good friend who I still um, have, I would call them text message studio visits with constantly. Someone I went to grad school with, um, and he's a really good sounding board, but we were sitting there having coffee and I was talking to him about the issue that I was having that I really loved British art, like exclusively, like every time people would play that game where they're like, Oh, your work looks like this person. Your work looks like that person. I would write down all the names and I would research those names, and I was finding the connection with all of them is that they were all British artists. I was like, well, I must be meant to be a British artist. I was half kidding, but I was half like, I mean, there's something to that. So I decided to sort of teach myself what the British artists, like I looked up their student work, which took a little bit of like, you know, library work, not internet searching. I'd actually go find catalogs and 
find out what kind of stuff did they do when they were students, before they had 20 assistants, and could I do work like that? And the answer was, oh, yeah, I really could. There's a set of rules. It's all very simple, you know, playing with materials. But the, the latch in there was that they all went out to their natural environment, whether that was literally the woods or, you know, England's uh, decrepit streets where uh, Tony Craig was getting, like, recycled materials or everyone, everyone knows Goldsworthy. Deacon was getting just sort of trash on the side of the roads. I was, like, sitting there, and I was like, well, this coffee shop's more like my studio, my natural environment. I draw in here. You know, I was already collecting the coffee cup sleeves. And then, I don't know, in that conversation, the term the Goldsworthy the coffee shop came out. And I thought it would be funny as like a one-off um, residency project. I didn't know what it would do, but I wrote it as a proposal for the Art Center back in Charleston. So in the summer, this is what I was saying, like I went to graduate school, and then the summer between my second let's see, second year of graduate school, I was the artist residence back in Charleston at that center, did that project, and then just moved forward. And so my portfolio, really all the way until... 2009, you know, my 20 slides I keep referring to was half, you know, was like two or three installation side works and the rest kind of studio-based process work. And then somewhere along the way, uh, it was in 2008, a gallery in New York, I, you know, I submitted, you know, I'm sure you know how, I don't know where you're at in your life, but, you know, you just, it's like throwing darts. You just send the calls that look like they'd be appropriate, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I sent my portfolio in 08 to a place in New York and at that time it had three three residency projects and then you know and of course I bulked up the slide sheet I put in you know a couple detail shots you know that trick right <laughs> <laughs> to make it look like I had more work sure. like I, and then the other half were the rust prints and welded sculpture and I got a phone call from the woman and she's like listen I don't know about shipping up that other stuff but I really love this residency piece you did and like that was sort of the beginning of it was, was like, well, that was created in a very specific situation where they housed me and fed me for a couple of days and I built it all there. Can you do that? She's like, yeah, I have a bathroom and a shower here in the gallery. Come on up. Said, all right. So 08 was really the first time I did the whole, you know, you get me three hots and a cot and a small, you know, get, get me there. I'll build the work. And that, that was the turning point it was like, Oh, you know, I don't, there's no, like, this is the best work. I, this is the hardest, most complicated work I know how to make. If people want to see this, this is how they'll see it. Sure. So, and then it went from there, you know, and it's just been like, uh, I mean, I'm still trying to get my sea legs with it. I mean, I, I feel like I'm still taking my first drawing class and it's just all like flying in front of me and I'm trying to learn as I go, you know? Well, I was just going to ask, you know, being in that environment for so long and being so removed from that, that stability, what is, what is that like? You know, because I mean, I, you know, even myself, I mean, I, I had like a short succession of like month long residencies once, but it was never anything for that extended amount of time. Um, so, I mean, are, are you constantly dealing with kind of little things or is it, I would imagine it sounds to me maybe that you, in your, <laughs> in your wisdom, I would say, just seem kind of maybe just to continually go with the flow. Um, but what's that, what's that process like? Which process? I mean, just being in that being in that environment where you're going to be mobile, you know, where you're moving from here to here, um, to to work on these uh, installations. I mean, are they do they vary in time as well? So that you might have ones that are longer, ones that are shorter during this period of time in 2009. Uh, yeah, 2009 was well, 2009, 2010. Those 18 months were were were. Not, I mean, it, it it's it was weird. Um, I, because of who who I am and just um, my ideas about art, I guess I'm almost more comfortable. Um, you know, some people really crave being locked away in a quiet studio, and like uh, you know, I love my time when I, when I was in that sort of residency situation before I had discovered actually like how to bridge the gap between residency fodder and actually making exhibitions. I'm just more comfortable now making work in the gallery, knowing that I'm working on the finished piece. So actually for me, it's, it's really freeing. I mean, it's really easy. So in 09, it's, it seemed, I mean, and still when I give the, I, I, I give lectures now and I show all the funny things, like how it came about. I thought I was just going to do like, uh, like my wife and I, I remember this, I got my first sort of bigger, I got a, a decent commission, um, 
back in Charleston, but then my wife kind of got into graduate school in her field um, in Columbia, and I did the piece for the city of Charleston in 09, and, like, we drove our moving trailer to that opening and then moved to, you know, promptly moved. So it's like I haven't been unpacked really since 2004, I guess. But what it was like, I don't know, it was just like making a series of work. Like, that, that's sort of the thing to think about. Like, it, if you go through the website and you see, you know, there's been, like, 25 of those things and, like, every month I'm doing something else. But for me, it's been, like, just working on one continuous uh, series or even I think I've just been working on one really big uh drawing in space but it's happened in you know 20 different locations so the the work itself has gotten easier you know what i mean mm -hmm. like uh but um, i don't know i mean i i, I have no expectations um I, I i've been saying this since 2009 you know at this point i've hit all my goals if the if it all drops off like it's it was a good run you know like i, I got a pollock krasner last year and that was you know i applied to that on a lark you know i was like oh well maybe i qualify for this and then along comes you know the, that's a year of life someone hands you and says we want to see what your work would look like in another year so i mean hell yeah you know so that's been this whole last year you know and, you know in 2013 i've now got you know my calendar's got a bunch of tentatives but it's been if even half of those tentative things fall through, 2013 will be crazy. Yeah. Right, right. So, well, but it, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, so, you know, you talked a little bit about, you know, you know, being in a new space, you know, being in an empty space and, you know, just referenced it as kind of drawing in space. Um, could you just talk, you know, a little bit about that, that process of where you, where you begin, um, you know, when you enter in, in a space and, and you have to put something in there? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, the first thing is whenever um, I'm planning a show, I ask for as much information if I ahead of time. You know, I, I need images. I like to have a floor plan. I like to have a sense of it. Uh, just the same way I would be laying out a show of someone else's work. I, that's always the way I think about it still is I'm Jonathan Brilliant's assistant, and I'm his dealer, and I'm also, I guess I'm still kind of the artist, but it's sort of like I've got to figure out how to install the work and make it respond to the space. But my, the first thing I do when I get to a space is I just walk in and uh, I think a lot about what would I want to see in there as a viewer, you know, and that's a, that was something I learned uh, in graduate school through uh, a, a lot in conversation with an artist named David Anderson. He had a huge, and I was ready to sort of quit exhibiting. I was like, well, there's no point in exhibiting because I hate what I exhibit. And he's like, well, you know, he and another artist too were like, well, think more about, what you do like to see exhibited, not what you like to make. And so that's sort of, that's still the approach I have. I walk into a space, I'm like, okay, what would I want to see in here? Not, what do I want to make? You know, and so it's sort of, that's the first part of it. And then the second part is just sort of the, the pragmatic of thinking about how to move through space. And it's funny for me because, you know, I've seen all of the installations, but it's like every other installation, I kind of go back and forth. Like I, I always get to the end of one, and I'm like, damn, I wish I'd done this. Okay, I'll do it next time. So it's like, you know, the month, the one before the one I just finished last week was more of an open sort of wall flowing space people had to move through. So this time I was like, okay, I'll make more of a fixed set of objects in space. And now where I'm getting ready to go, I'm like, I think maybe I just want to see a big landed object that seems, you know, improbably large to come through the doors that are there. But, you know, then the one after that, I'm in this... Uh, library with a curved wall in uh, Fresno. So it'll both be responding to that space, but it'll also be building on the previous piece. Like, uh, there's a cool moment, and I see it now, like, when I have to talk about the work. And that's the other thing, too. Like, for me, um, nothing that I'm asked to do feels like it's not part of my studio process. So giving lectures, working on contracts, uh, ordering materials, getting to know my suppliers who I've had a relationship with since for four years now, and uh, like, all that stuff funnels into it. So it's like there's a, there's a cool point in 2009. I did a piece in um, in Norman, Oklahoma. It was one of the uh, first travel ones. It was technically the first travel stop on the tour. And right at the end of building the, this huge piece in this really big, intimidating space, I started making overlapping um, lines that were, like, perpendicular. The sticks were woven in and at, at a perpendicular. Then if you and I, I show this when I show this slide, then the next piece in Memphis, it starts off, the first part of that piece has the perpendicular lines, and the piece the week after that in Berlin, or the month after, 
this is two weeks after that, in Berlin, is nothing but bent over overlapping lines. But then the piece that follows that is completely plain with no overlapping lines. Because, I mean, it was conscious at the time, but it's more clear now that, like, I've just been kind of tweaking the same piece, you know? And uh, so that's all it is for me. It's just one. It's just as easy when I pick up my sketchbook and just start drawing in the sketchbook or writing or whatever. That's the same thing I'm doing. Like, each one of these installations is just like another page in, you know, a really big sketchbook. Sure, sure. Well, and, you know, just from a practical standpoint, you know, when it comes to actually working with these materials, is there, I mean, obviously you've probably developed, you know, a huge ability to kind of manipulate all these things, but um, is there is there any, um, is it, I guess, really just about the, like, the the weight of the material as well? I mean, is there a lot of stuff that's supporting it, or is it really just about that integrity of, I don't know, how the material interacts with the next piece or the next add add-on? Oh, I, I did. Did I forget to explain that the you know the sticks are all just woven in place with tension, like there's no right. glue or anything like that, right? You caught that, right? Yeah, I think. Well, I think it seemed like that, but you know, you never know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that that's part of the thing is uh, that's the other aspect that's benefited me is I I I personally like uh, I like a lot of difficult, screwy, weird um, stuff, and like a lot of the art I like is very. Um, boring and i would never but it's not the kind of stuff i would ever make but it's funny when all that filters through me it comes out as this funny sort of sideshow effect and that's the whole thing the have sticks will travel tour did is i thought in the very beginning i was going to do something really smart about coffee shops and their materials but over the years what i've been doing is constantly um basically presenting the way an artist works so yeah they're all just woven in place and put together as far as the materials it's funny i've gotten really um it's become as intuitive as just making a drawing, but just to the specifics, the sticks I use um, are, uh, they come from China because they're a raw birchwood stick, and it really was that the sticks I was uh, stealing from coffee shops when I first started out happened to be that kind of stick, and when I was transitioning the sort of woven sculpture I'd made before, to even with that, they work, so now I get them uh, just like that, but it's, uh, I don't know what what about the particular. You just like one another the technical part of it, or yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, like you know, like these big long kind of tundrally kind of things. Are are those all sleeves or cups that are kind of stacked together? Then oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we probably should be like looking at the same images. Yes. So um, the the linear sculptures that you see, if they're the white and brown ones, just the white ones, they're coffee cup sleeves, and they're stacked one inside of another. And that just came out of uh, again, like it's. It's funny for me, I actually, um, it's it's both a slow and a fast prog- progress in that each time I do this, I figure out, all right, well, next time I'll do this. Because like I say, the gallery is the studio place. Like, there's no there's no other space where I'm making these work. So each show is the newest version. So with the sleeves, I started out at first just stacking them and pinning them to the ceiling. And then over the years, I now, they're, they're still just stacked inside of each other. Uh, they're tension on the inside. With a cable, and I've start, I have now playing around. You'll see in some of the more recent ones, they're lifted into the air. The one I just finished last week, they're pulled from a like a hundred different points to give this weird sort of. I don't know. I think it's like a Richard Deacon on steroids kind of uh, linear sculpture. But again, yeah, like with with the coffee shop work, it's that I'm still playing off of that British set. Um, the materials are only altered through. Um, hand process there's no additive or subtractive so the sticks are just woven with tension the sleeves will just be stacked one side of another and the lids that are arranged on the wall um the lid circles the lids are just pinned through a hole that already exists in the lid so nothing has been changed from its original uh use only my time and labor in the gallery space so that's again like a way to give the viewer a very uh, an experience that only happens inside the space sure well, and, you know, it, it also seems like, too, there's other things that wind up, and I don't know, maybe you, you could talk a little bit about this, but there's, um, in the in the most recent installation, there's this wall drawing that's done with, I believe, like, coffee? Yeah, that's uh, Cafe Bustello espresso dust. <laughs> um, is that something, then, that also kind of plays in there, too, like, you know, that, because obviously that, you know, that the surface of that wall is different than, say, you know, just a, a finished you know, 
you know, wall that you normally have that's really smooth in a gallery. So, I mean, are, are there things that come up then too where... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or is that uh, something you, that was pre-planned as well, or? Um, well, so I knew the, the I knew the layout in general for that show. I had done the in Jan, in January of this year. Was it just January? Well, in January, I did. I had a gallery with a much taller. Uh, I had a show that I called um, weaving, stacking, and staining because those were the three things I was going to do, uh, and that was at um, Coastal Carolina University. They brought me in for ten days. The the curator there is someone that's known me and my work for a couple of years. And he finally, and see, this is the thing, like a lot of my, um, good fortune has been, a, a vastly distributed network of people that I've met over the years who either encountered my work in earlier forms or just have really believed uh, in me. And so when, once they get to like a place where they can, uh, bring me in, like I get that, I love getting that email, that call. All right, Jonathan, I finally got, you know, a budget, and so like people don't realize something's happened that everyone I came of age with is, or, or that I've met over the years, is now getting in positions where they're like assistant directors or they're curators at universities. So it's like a lot of that tour refle- again reflects that of just like for some reason my network of people pick that exact moment. You know, they're like, oh, well, let's bring Jonathan in. You know, so the show in January in Conway when I did um, the the coffee stains on the wall there, it was a very smooth wall. It was also a much bigger wall, but I knew, um, in art space, I knew that, that one wall is kind of, uh, I knew, I knew I was going to put them on the brick wall and then the, the lids in the front, uh, the last time I did the lids, they had their own room. I had a big three room show at the visual arts center in Richmond in uh, the fall last year. And there were just three huge circles of lids on the walls. But this room, that's the thing I have to sort of get, like, I always realize that after the fact, you know? So it's like, after I did the ones in Richmond, I was like, oh, shoot, the lids need to really engage, you know, corners. And then it's like being given a gift, you know, art space. You walk into the gallery, you're greeted with two opposing corners. So that's why the lids are around the corner like that. So that's sort of the thing. Um, in terms of planning, uh, I could pull it out. But, like, in my sketchbook and in different, um, sometimes on envelopes or whatever, I'll figure out sort of the gestalt, sort of the look of the show, but like with the the lid wall, I actually um, fo- took an envelope and opened it up, like unfolded it completely, and then built myself like just a little corner and drew a circle, two opposing circles, so I could see kind of what corners would look like. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So and I, I I do that just out of habit and tradition. I like to do my planning in a in a coffee shop. I don't know, call it superstition. But <laughs> I'll actually go there to make plans for. Even though, you know, right now we're sitting in my uh, kitchen where I can do the exact same stuff. But just just for good measure, I will still go to a coffee shop to work on plans and contracts and logistics and stuff. Well, just just a small little segue, but what, what kind of what, – what's your preferred coffee? These days, uh, it's much healthier. I just will usually get a double shot. Wherever I am, I'll get a double shot of espresso. Mm-hmm. Um, and I better just drip coffee black. But um, whether it's a – a chain or an in, or a mom and pop or independent. For me, the good measure is you order a double shot of espresso because there's no um, there's no funny business. It's just the machine. You know, they just they have to pack the grounds in the machine, and the machine does the work. So sure. Well, so it, that's the deal. It makes me wonder though if there's any possibility of sponsorship, or if that's ever been brought up. And and I, I'm kind of kidding a little bit tongue in cheek, but at the same time, <laughs> you know, can't help but think that that could be something interesting. Yeah, it's it's always brought up, and the closest it ever came uh, was a, a curator. And we and again, this is the thing about uh, every artist is different, and every every person is different. They have to figure out what they enjoy. I really enjoy paperwork and logistics and planning and um, the installing of work, whether my own or someone else's, more so than like the whole. I guess. Uh, artist, you know, tortured, tortured away in the studio thing. So, um, oh, right. So the point of that is this curator had a connection to, um, Illy coffee and it was a good experience for me because she really got me to refine my proposals and uh, we worked on this very specific proposal and it went through several layers of possibly doing something, but then it got bounced out. But out of that, I basically, the, the proposal that, that she had worked out with me in like, 2010 um 
I've used a variation of that proposal as almost like a blank, um, as like my blank letter, as like my form letter. So when people query me, I have a really solid, well, and it's cool because I worked with her on that possibility of proposal uh, in 2010 after the tour was over. So it kind of shows, you know, if you want to uh, get a work for me. But the point is, no, there hasn't been any sort of sponsorship yet, but it's not. Um, I'd rather just stay focused on making the work. Sure, sure. Well, and I think, you know, one thing that's really interesting just about this talk in general and something that you had talked about much earlier on was just, um, you know, that aspect of just doing, you know, and, and you know, even with this uh, Pollock uh, Krasner grant just kind of being, you know, ambivalent almost about just applying for it, you know, might, might not get this or probably won't get this, but then kind of getting it. And I think that, you know, it's something that people kind of forget, you know, um, just to just to apply to something, you know, just oh. to just to do it, you know. And I mean, so it's more I, than that. I, I I'm really superstitious. Every time I finish an exhibition or a project, I submit at least five more um, something. Either I mean, at this point, it's so easy because everything's online. But I've been doing that since that first sculpture class when I was taught about applications. Although it was really you had to be really picky back in the you know. Right around 2004, you quit needing slides because that was getting really complicated when you had to, like, do slides and get your slides back, you know. And, like, once it, you know, once it was just CDs, who cares about a CD? Send it on. And now that's, you know, most of it's online applications or you fill out a form online and print it out, I always hit at least – I always send to, like, five more things. But I'm, I'm less – like, I don't apply – I don't submit to, like um, – you know, I'm not submitting to uh, open calls for exhibitions or anything like that because – that's still not my interest. My interest is like moving the work forward. So yeah, I'm always applying for stuff. And the Paula Krasner too. I've been aware of that for a long time, and um, you know, I'd always, and it was just one of those things where I, I looked at it and I was like, all right, you know, I was at the end of the tour, like the tour had ended. I was uh, in residence at the McCall Center, and I kind of was catching my breath, and I was like, well, what, what is going to come next? You know, like I don't, you know, so that that was one of those ones. But it's funny, the exact same application that went to the Paula Krasner also went to another organization and didn't even get uh, uh, what you know finalist status didn't even get shortlisted whereas Pollock Krasner it went through so that's the point like you should apply to everything and just send the same application to five different places and watch how one place is super excited and loves the work and the other place they just pick someone that's work is completely different so. sure well and that's you know I think that's an important thing to, to share with people you know and I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, you know, and I realized that, you know, we just got a little bit more time here, but, um, you know, one of the things that, you know, hearing you talk about the space, especially, um, that just kind of randomly just, just to throw it out there. Um, what would your dream space be to kind of work in or like a dream environment? If, if somebody could just be, you know, Hey, we want you to, we've got this space for you to use. I mean, it, does it really matter to you or, yeah, uh, there, uh, there's no, um, well, I mean, they've all been kind of like dreams because, like I said, the people I found most interesting were the sort of visiting artists, were the people who came through and gave lectures and made work, did demonstrations, and now I'm that guy. Like, it's all kind of a dream. You know, last year, uh, the Visual Arts Center of Richmond, that space was an amazing, beautiful space, architecture design space. It was multiple rooms. It was, you know, super cool. She had cold called me, but, you know, that was exciting and that was crazy that I took on a room that big. But the month before that, I was in this really cool street level space at the Kendall College of Art and Design that had this weird column in the middle of it. So it's like, uh, for me, the best space is any empty space that someone wants to turn over to me. You know, tomorrow I'm going to fly out to Australia and the space I'm going to is um, in this visitor center at a botanical garden and it's got like one glass, well, from what I can tell from the pictures, like, one glass wall and one, like, sliding glass wall that opens into, like, a gift shop, and, like, it's just a seven, what is it, seven meters by 12 meters, something like that, I don't know, I had to do the conversion, but it's just a, it's just a simple rectangle, that's gonna be great, and then, you know, after that is a, a library space with, like, a curved wall and some weird railings, and after that is a, an abandoned pharmacy, so it's, like, I'm, th that's the whole thing about the work is I'll make it suit the space I'm given, you know? Sure. Well, and I just think about that in terms of, you know, even like, cause I think, you know, um, like that idea of the abandoned places or, you know, um, even just, 
places that you might not even think about, like uh, just like uh, vacant mansions or something. I don't know. You know what I mean? I, I think there's a... Uh... Yeah, historic sites would be great. That was one of those things that uh, I got an inquiry that, that but it fell through. But uh, and, and again, 2013, I, I'm going to keep moving forward. But, but uh, like, a, like I do like the juxtaposition. It is sort of like it's... Um, it's sometimes it's almost too easy to make a beautiful thing in a beautiful space because whatever you put in there is going to look, you know, like the space is going to um, dictate how the work is experienced no matter what. So if you've already got a space that's set up to be an exhibition space, that's already gold. You know, like you walk into a gallery, so it's like uh, some, you know, a historic site or, you know, strangely restored mansions. Those would be fun because it would seem so improbable to then have like this, you know, wild organic contemporary work moving through a well-manicured space. So. Sure, but, sure. But I'm, I've done that, too. Like, uh, when furniture is in the gallery, that's actually some of my funnier... There, there's some funnier moments. Um, there's been a couple of shows where, you know, gallery benches and stuff were in the space, and the people were like, oh, yeah, we can get these out of here. I was like, nope, leave them. And then I would just build the pieces around the benches so you couldn't sit on the benches anymore. You know, I've done that, and uh, I enjoy that, too. So. Sure. Well, um... Again, I, I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me today and recognize that you're going to be uh, pretty busy getting on a plane. Um, but, uh, yeah, really enjoy the work, and it's great talking to you. Oh, yeah, no, no, I, I appreciate it. I'm a huge fan of, uh, uh, well, um, a sucker for Mark Maron's podcast, but I know you're not, I don't know if you're listening to him at all, though. Um, at times. Yeah, so I like the idea of, of uh, just two artists babbling. Or one artist babbling to the other one. I don't know. And there you have it. So I hope you enjoyed today's interview with Jonathan Brilliant. Once again, please go check out his work at jonathanbrilliant.com. And again, check out the blog because he's got updates like every day about how this piece is progressing. It's very cool stuff, so check it out. As always, if this is the first time that you've ever heard Studio Break, we've got tons of other podcasts, so please check them out. Pretty simple. Just go through the slides. Somebody draws your eye. There you go. And once again, if you don't want to listen to it in the default player or you don't want to right-click and save the MP3 and just grab it onto your desktop, you can always go to the iTunes store, search for Studio Break under Podcasts, and subscribe there. It's very easy to get any of the other episodes that we have, so please check that out. And as Jonathan Brilliant says... I like the idea of of, uh, just two artists babbling, or one artist babbling to the other one. Once again, Jonathan is spot on there. We would appreciate it if you do like this interview or any of the other interviews that you happen to find along the way. Please share it. That's the easiest way to to find out about new things is to share it with other people. So please help get it out there. We'd really appreciate it. Of course, the other thing that we appreciate is for you to like us on Facebook. Again, we provide a number of updates and previews for upcoming shows and podcasts and all sorts of good stuff. So please like us on Facebook. And, of course, you can always save the blog as one of your favorites and get updates that way. Of course, our music today was found, as always, at freemusicarchive.org, a site that I happen to really like because every time I go there, I find new cool things to check out. Once again, there's thousands of songs you can download for free, so if you need some new music and the economy's hurting you, there you go. You've got free music right there, so please check that out. Our intro song today was 1.6 Band Sticks to the Skin, and taking us out is Geotics, The Logs Burn Slower Here. All right, if you could just do me a favor, insert mental drum roll right here. Studio Break is going to be doing some exhibitions. We've got our first show opening September 15th in Aurora. Tall Tales will feature Bill Conger, Bob Jones, Adam Meisach, Tim Roby, John Reddington, and Ben Gardner. The idea for the show is pretty straightforward. They're all artists that in some way deal with narrative or storytelling, either directly or indirectly, so it should be a good mix. And, of course, we'd love it as if many of you come out as possible. We do have John Reddington making a special trek out from Ohio for it, so it should all be very good. Of course, as time goes on, we're going to be looking for other venues, other opportunities, so if you have anything that you think we'd be interested in, in terms of having a group show or a two-person show, solo show, whatever, please contact me at davidlinaway.com. Now, speaking of exhibitions, I am also going to be in an exhibition opening up August 24th at the Jacoby Art Center in Alton, Illinois. I'm happy to be showing with Christopher Brennan and Benjamin Cohan. Now, be warned, it is going to be a pretty awesome painting show featuring artists dealing with landscape and architecture, a great mix, so please check that out. Once again, that's in Alton, Illinois, opening August 24th. 
from 5 to 8 p.m. the Jacoby Art Center. Of course, if you're totally unfamiliar with my work and you happen to live in the St. Louis area and thinking about checking out the show, you can always go to my website, davidlinaway.com, to get a preview of what I do and see if you're interested. So please check it out. That's all the show we have for today. We'll talk to you real soon.